the Instructor Podcast with Terry Cook, talking with leaders, innovators, experts and game changers about what drives them. So welcome to the Instructor Podcast. As always, I am your splendid host, Terry Cook, or as I was referred to recently, a tsunami of tranquility. But either way, I'm delighted to be here and even more delighted that you have chosen to listen. This is a show where I speak to leaders, experts, innovators and game changers to look at ways that we can help you improve your driving school and potentially become an even more awesome driving instructor. And today is no different. We are taking a deep dive into the topic of sleep and we are joined by a sleep, health, nutrition expert and all-round general maestro Haley Field. Uh, you may recognize that name right back from season one. Over 100 episodes ago, Haley joined me to talk about health and nutrition. And today we are diving into sleep. We're giving you some top tips on how to get better sleep, how sleep can impact you physically and mentally, and how it can impact your driving and your learners. We are also joined at the end of the episode by fellow driving instructor Nick Smith, who is offering us his top tips, resources, and his ultimate driving song. But just before we dive into this episode, I just want to take a moment to remind you to click subscribe. Wherever you're listening, go and click subscribe now so it drops into your feed whenever we release a new episode, including any bonus ones we may release. Um, hinting, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But for now... Let's get stuck into the show. And we're now joined by the ever-delightful Hayley Field. How are we doing, Hayley? I'm really good, actually. I'm very excited because I haven't been on a podcast for quite a while. I think I have been on one since the last time I was on yours, but not for quite some time. And I haven't spoken to you since you popped my cherry either, which is great. So I'm very excited. Yeah. I feel we need to put context on this. <laughs> nah, don't bother. <laughs> well, I want to put context on the fact that uh, you were back on, on season one of the Instructor Podcast. Um, I was. You were way back on the debut season. We're now into season five. Uh, so I'm delighted to have you back. And today we're talking about something a bit different. We're going to be talking about sleep and sleep health and if and why it's important and all those uh, shenanigans. But before we do that, there's a, a question I like to ask people when they come on the show now, and I've, I've done this since you last came on. So the tagline for this podcast is that I speak to leaders, experts, innovators, and game changers. Which one or ones are you? Oh, Terry, that's you didn't tell me you were going to ask this question. Mean. Yep. Um, I would say um, game changer because I think the way that I coach people around health stuff is quite different to other people's approach. Hopefully you'd agree being an ex-client. Um, what are the other choices? Leader, expert and innovator. I'm definitely an expert. Definitely. Um, I'm not going to say innovator because, you know, nobody can really be an innovator with nutrition and health stuff because it is all basically the same shit that everyone tries to sell you in different packages um but yes i'm going to go with game changer and expert i think uh, i'd agree with those and i'm always fascinated by people's answers because especially the expert one i see people debate whether they can call themselves an expert whether they can't or whether it's to whatever but no i would agree with us so uh good shouts and i will just mention that we mentioned you were back on season one there so for anyone listening i will put the link to that episode in the show notes you can go back and find out about uh all the health stuff we spoke about and how we can keep healthy as driving instructors. But as I mentioned today, we are talking about sleep and I stewed for quite a while over how to do this episode and start. And, and I thought that I'm going to be quite honest to begin with, because this is an episode I've wanted to do for quite a while. And the reason I haven't is because I know that this episode won't be the most popular episodes because we're talking about sleep and not something very, very specific to instructors like tests or standards checks and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's how I want to start, by asking you why people are very dismissive of sleep. And then the second part of that question would be, why is sleep important? Yeah, that is a great question. So I think as a society... Unfortunately, we have evolved to a stage where we believe 
uh, sleep is a luxury when in fact sleep is a primary biological need and you will die if you don't sleep um it's it's a necessity right but in this culture of hustle and grind particularly as business owners right that that it was eight is wall street kind of sleep when you're dead hustle and grind like you know if you're working when your competitors are sleeping that gives you the edge and all of that like bullshit frankly <laughs> that that is so i think as a society we now have a very skewed and strange attitude towards sleep and i think that that's probably why you know i'm not that i'm hoping that this is the case but it's probably why you know maybe not as many people will listen to this episode because they're just like particularly business owners right i work with business owners and when i say to them about sleep it, they all roll their eyes Oh God, like, you know, and everyone's got these uh, reasons why they can't get good sleep. And it's normally to do with my business or my kids or you know all of that kind of stuff. So I think it's a people don't place as much importance on it and they see it as a luxury. And B, they don't believe that their circumstances allow them to improve their sleep in any way. So why bother? It's interesting because I think I agree. I think there's also an element there of it's not exciting. <laughs> that, that's something why I never used I to be interested in. I think it's really exciting. <laughs> well, yeah, and I do now. This is the thing. But like five years ago, before I started trying to change my sleep and, you know, that side of it, it was like, oh, it's just sleep. What's the relevance, you know? Yeah. And I find it now fascinating, but only the best people will listen to this episode. So even if it doesn't get as many numbers because people perceive it as not being exciting or whatever, people will gain fruit from this. And Yeah. So... If you had to simplify it, how, what is sleep, essentially? I know that we close our eyes and drift off into some weird state, but what, what is it in its simplest form? Oh, Terry, you're asking an incredibly difficult question that not even the best sleep experts in the world have an answer to. So I definitely can't tell you exactly what sleep is. I can tell you that it's not a passive activity. So it's not, you know, we're not flicking an off switch and going to sleep and our body completely shuts down and nothing happens. A lot of really important stuff happens when we're asleep, which is one of the reasons why, you know, it is so important. And you all of the things that you understand to sleep. So, you know, about sleep, which is you'll get some rest, you'll feel refreshed, but there's all sorts of other shit going on. So, for example, um, our glymphatic system which is the system that washes all of the trash out of our brain, if you like. So when we're using our brain during the day, um, you know, we get waste products, much like, you know, when you exercise and you get waste products um, in your blood and your lymphatic system drains all of that out. Um, so if you don't sleep, your brain doesn't get a chance to take the trash out because essentially it sort of gets rinsed in this, you know, glymphatic system. And one of the main uh, bits of trash that it takes out, if you like, is a protein called amyloid beta. And that is the protein that builds up for people who have Alzheimer's. So sleep is incredibly important for brain health, right? That's just one example. Another example, which might be uh, useful for your driving instructors to pass on to students is when you learn new stuff during the day, it gets stored you know, in, in your hippocampus and then while you sleep at night, your brain processes it, that learning, and stores it into the correct area of your brain. So if you if you imagine like when you're cramming for exams and you don't sleep, you're actually being counterproductive because if you learn something new, then the, the sleep that you have that night is incredibly important to consolidate that learning, which obviously would be true for driving um, students and stuff. So yeah, it's, I mean, that's just two things. How many things do you want me to tell you about sleep and why it's important? Well, I want to touch back on that learning side for a second, because as you said, that's relevant for people learning to drive, but also probably relevant for us instructors that the ones to develop our business or our, our driving our teaching skills or whatever. And so, I mean, essentially, we'd be better off doing slightly less learning to get more sleep than doing more learning and sacrificing sleep. Yeah, because it has a knock-on effect as well. So obviously you want the things that you've learned to be stored in the correct area of your brain and be accessed easier later on. But one of the major effects of poor sleep is cognitive impairment. So, you know, if you learn something and then you don't get enough sleep, 
obviously the thing that you've learned will not stick as well that day. But then if you're learning something the next day, you're cognitively impaired anyway, because you haven't slept well, and that's going to make that more difficult anyway. So um, sleep is incredibly important for learning, you know, we can grow new brain cells. So you know, people believed up until the 60s that our brain was just our brain. And, you know, when our brain cells died, that that was it. But you can actually create new brain cells um, when you learn new stuff. Um, so sleep is really important for that as well. Yeah, I'm going to sort of touch on the, the road safety side later on in this episode, mm-hmm. I think. But I think I'd be keen to ask you, obviously, I'm not a driving instructor, but should we be taking that into account, do you think, when our learners get in the car? Should we be asking them about what level, uh, you know, have they struggled to sleep? Are they, you know, do they feel fit to drive and that side of it? Absolutely. Yeah, cognitive impairment is, I mean, I don't want to be alarmist, right? Because hopefully we'll touch on this later. But I know, you know, there is a myth that everyone should be getting eight hours sleep, right? Um, so when I say sleep deprived, I'm talking about people who get four hours or less. Okay, so generally, if you're getting six hours, you're probably not going to get any sort of effects of cognitive impairment and that kind of stuff. Anything, you know, six hours to four hours, you're probably going to get some impairment, less than four hours sleep. I would suggest, you know, it's probably going to be quite a difficult driving lesson if you do that. Um, So I definitely wouldn't want people to be, you know, quizzing their students and their students saying oh I've got seven hours and they're like out the car (laughs) you know they're probably going to be fine right because eight hours is a bit of a myth um and it's different from person to person it's very individual but certainly you know things that people don't take into account is what chronotype you are right so if you are a night owl and your driving lesson is you know at 8 a.m you're probably not going to perform as well as you would if your driving lesson was at 2 p.m., for example. So even simple questions like that to your students, you know, are you a night owl or are you a morning person? And then booking their lessons accordingly, if your calendar allows, that could be something that really helps your students. I think that's really interesting and important because um, I forget where I heard, I think it was in Matthew Walker's book um, about sleep that, he was saying that there's a sort of campaign in America to push school times back. And whenever I read anything online, whether it's by instructors or, or, you know, people of that ilk, it's generally criticizing teenagers for staying in bed too late and getting up late and that kind of stuff. And, and their body clocks are different, aren't they at that age? So that's 17, 18, 19 age. The body clocks actually designed to work later in the day. Is that right? It is. And so the reason people are night owls or morning people is because of something in your brain called the suprachiasmatic nucleus, which is like a master clock in your brain, right? And it doesn't run the exact, um, it doesn't match up exactly to circadian rhythm. So it'll either be a little bit fast, in that case, you'll be a morning person, or it'll be a little bit slow, in which case you'll prefer staying up later and waking up later. And because adolescents, they're, you know, your brain, um, particularly your prefrontal, prefrontal cortex, is not fully developed until you're 25. So, you're, you know, as an adolescent, their brain will go through those changes where you know, they do need more sleep. They are growing more. So, yeah, I, I actually there's a guy called Dr. Christian. Oh, I've forgotten his name. Hold on a second. I can't remember. Um, But he has got um, a sleep facility in Sweden and he's actually campaigning for high schools to start later to allow adolescents to sleep later because it would be more beneficial for them. So when we see people moan online about the teenagers that are lazy, they're not lazy. It's just they are wired differently to us, essentially. They are. And actually, there's a couple of other really interesting studies saying that children who don't get enough sleep are more likely to suffer from obesity when they get older into adulthood Um, because it can really it's it's a correlation not necessarily a causation but for sure you probably wouldn't want to risk it i will just mention to anyone listening that uh some of the words you're saying today will most definitely not be getting typed out in those show notes i'm not attempting all those um (laughs) you did mention that the circadian rhythm um Just tell us a little bit more about that and about what that is for anyone that doesn't know. So your the circadian rhythm. So we obviously sleep in cycles of 90 to 110 minutes. 
And in the daytime, we also go through similar cycles, that which is our ultradian rhythm of um, peak arousal, if you will, um, and sort of drowsiness. So we're constantly in these sort of 90 to 110 minute cycles. So your circadian rhythm is made up of that whole, you know, what we call a 24 hour period. And every single cell in your body has these little clocks where your cells are kind of switched on and off. So, for example, when I work with shift workers, for example, people who work nights, um, things that can be really disruptive to their circadian rhythm are things like trying to digest food at three o'clock in the morning, because those cells are just like they're just not up for that job at three o'clock in the morning. It's not what they normally do. So disruptions to your circadian rhythm can have really um, serious knock on effects from a biological perspective, from um, a mood perspective as well. So a lot of kind of depression and low mood and things for people who are night shift workers. Um, So, yeah, your circadian rhythm, um, you get most of your cues for that from the external, external environmental cues. Because if you think about it, your body doesn't really know what time of day it is because it's all encased in your skin. So, you know, those cells don't necessarily know that it's 3 a.m. in the morning, but they do know that, you know, they switch off at a certain time and they switch on at a certain time. So, yeah, circadian rhythm disruption can be um, can have serious consequences if it's sort of chronic and goes on for a long time. You mentioned previously that I I was next client of yours, and I think. I want to touch on that for a second, but just before we do, I think it's worth mentioning the reason I'm an ex-client is because you got me to where I needed to be, and then I didn't need you anymore. Um, okay. And that's how awesome you are at what you do. So if anyone does want help with health stuff, we know where to find Haley. Um, but one of the things that, that you encouraged me to do when I started working with you was invest in a Fitbit. Uh, mm-hmm. And that wasn't just to count steps and stuff. That was also to do with, with sleep. Yeah. And one of the big things I found from a Fitbit think you recommended this um was about setting the your sort of alarm on your fitbit in i don't know what the word is in rhythm with your circadian rhythm so that you're waking up when you're supposed to wake up so you set your alarm for 7 30 but if if it senses that you're in a certain stage of your circadian rhythm anyway it will wake you up a bit earlier in accordance with that yeah. um so is that something that people could do to sort of improve start improving their sleep health Yeah. So um, if you wake up in the morning with an alarm and you always feel like shit, right? So if you're like, oh my God, I can barely drag my head off the pillow. um, It might not necessarily be because you didn't sleep well. It might be that you're waking up at the wrong time. So those sleep cycles that we go through, as I mentioned, they're between 90 and 110 minutes. Um, They vary from person to person, but not in person so if yours is 98 minutes it's always 98 minutes for example so um what you can do is decide what time you want to wake up and then count backwards in 90 minute cycles so if you want to wake up at 6 a.m like i'm not going to do backwards time maths right live on a podcast right so we'll have to work it out but you know backwards in 90 minute cycles and that will give you the bedtime that you need i'll probably tack 20 minutes to half an hour onto it, you know, just to have time to sort of get into bed and settle down. But what should happen is then you are waking up in the, at the end of a sleep cycle, which is where you're sort of naturally coming out of REM sleep and you're going back into that lighter sleep. If you're waking up in the middle of a sleep cycle, you could be in deep sleep and that just is horrible to wake up in. I mean, I genuinely didn't think that my sleep could get much better until I made that change. And now I wake up in a much better mood because of that. Whereas previously it was always, I'd wake up grumpy, you know, yeah. and I'd say it wasn't a morning person. It wasn't that at all. It was just, I was grumpy because I'd probably woken up in the middle of a certain cycle. But Yeah. Um, I mean, ideally everyone would wake up without an alarm. And I know that obviously being self-employed, I'm in an incredibly privileged position to never wake up with an alarm. Um, and that's the ideal. And I would say, if you are able to, um, to find out, you know, when your best time for waking up, if you could wake, you know, if you could go to bed and not wake up um, with an alarm for sort of three or four days in a row, you would find out what kind of time your body likes to wake up. It's interesting you say that about being self-employed as well, because I would say 99% of driving instructors are, 
So we're in charge of our diary. Now, there's obviously mitigating factors to that. You know, you've got other work-life commitments that you might have to take into account and certain students or whatever. But I think where we can, we can do that. You know, I'm in a privileged position now where my alarm is set for 8 a.m. And I usually wake up between half six and seven. So like you, I'm not waking up. That alarm is a backup in case I don't wake up. Um, And I think that as instructors, that's something we and be doing more, taking a step back and reflecting. We might not be able to get quite the diary we want, but we yeah. can certainly improve it. Is that something you'd recommend that instructors take a look at? Absolutely. And I actually, um, I do something similar. Uh, well, you know, maybe something that, that your listeners can do, which is I change my routine depending on whether it's summer or winter. So obviously the clocks have just gone forward. And normally I would do client calls between 12 and four on my client days in the winter because I don't like, you know, I am very sensitive to um, the environmental cues. So as soon as it gets dark, I'm like, I need to go to bed, (laughs) which is a problem in December, right? It's half past four. Um, But I don't really like to be working when it's dark because it really affects, you know, how I'm helping, you know, the delivery of my service. So what I'll do is I'll do 12 to four in the winter. Then in the summer, I'll move my client calls to between half past three and 7 p.m. Because it's still light. I get to go out um, midday and have a walk and, you know, enjoy the sunshine a bit more. Um, I have bigger time blocks of my work and I can still be outside and see the sunrise and the sunset, which is, oh, that's another tip I'll give you in a minute for, for improving your sleep. But I would suggest that if you are in charge of your own diary, you, you definitely should be where possible. And I know it's not always possible because I guess you have students want to practice driving at nighttime and stuff like that. So it's not always possible. But for sure, if you can arrange your diary um, so that you can maximize your sleep, um, it's certainly a good idea. Yeah. I'm looking forward to getting some sleep tips from you in a second. But before we do, I want to just speak to you a little bit about the uh, the REM deep sleep and light sleep. They're the kind of three cores, aren't they? So for anyone that, that doesn't know, what, what what is REM deep sleep and light sleep? So um, deep sleep, I'll start with that one. because that's So you when you go to sleep, you go into light sleep. Um, and light sleep is a little bit... Um, like deceiving the name of it because it sort of suggests that you aren't really asleep and it's not good sleep but light sleep can be really restorative and it's an important part of our sleep cycle but that's the kind of the first bit of sleep you'll fall into then you'll you know not long after you fall asleep you'll fall into deep sleep or what we call slow wave sleep so that is when your heart rate slows right down and your you know ho- hopefully your heart rate drops before you're below your resting heart rate and you'll be in quite, you know, obviously a deep sleep. It'll be quite difficult to wake you up, but you are getting, you know, that's the most restorative um, bit of sleep. And that's normally responsible mostly for physical um, repair and recovery. And it is when um, human growth hormone is also released during that period of sleep. So for anyone who's hitting the gym and trying to sort of grow some muscles and stuff, that's a really important part of sleep. But repair, recovery, all of that kind of stuff happens in deep sleep. Um, And then next, you'll move into REM sleep. So that's rapid eye movement sleep. Um, And that is when you tend to dream. And that's because when you're that's when your brain is doing a lot of the processing of the information and the emotions that have happened during that day. So as I mentioned before, if you've been doing a lot of learning, your brain will decide where all of those things, how they're processed and where they need to go. But yeah, the dreams are generally um, something actually really interesting that happens is sleep is really important for helping you separate emotions from memories. So there was this really cool study. Sorry, I keep going about really cool studies. They might not be really cool for other people. Um, This really cool study where they got a group of people and they got them to sing karaoke. And obviously, you know, they were really bad at karaoke, um, but they got them to sing karaoke and then they sleep deprived one group of them and then they let the others have a really good night's sleep. And then the next night, they bought, uh, the next day, they brought them both back, both groups, and they played them the original song and what their version sounded like. So obviously they would probably experience embarrassment and stuff like that. 
So the people who've been sleep deprived, their amygdala, which is kind of your fight or flight, you know, that embarrassing, like heart racing thing that lit up. But for the people who'd had a really good night's sleep, it didn't light up as much. So it actually sleep made them more resilient to those emotions. Because if you imagine if that never happened and every time you remembered, oh, my God, I remember when I sang that karaoke song. If you experience the same intensity and level of emotion and embarrassment, it'd be really fucking intense, wouldn't it? To be like, go through your life remembering stuff. So that's another reason why sleep is important, actually, that REM period of sleep for helping you separate the emotion from the memory and sort of making it bearable to live through it again. So that's what REM sleep is for. And then you go back into light sleep before you wake up. It's really interesting that you give that example, actually, because I've not heard that before specifically. And um, I was on the end of a, a little bit of uh, online trolling, shall we say, uh, recently. And I didn't respond on the, the night, I thought, because I will respond emotionally. And I don't want to do that. I want to keep my business. Um, I'm going to go to bed and sleep on it and see what I like in the morning. I woke up the next day in a much better place. Yeah, I was much more resilient. And... Mm-hmm. The the thing I kept thinking about was three months ago, I'd have woke up in a foul mood. I'd have been kicking off because I was in a much worse place in terms of my sleep with moving into a new home and all the nonsense that was going on. My sleep was a lot more disturbed three months ago than it is now. Yeah. And I've not really put them two and two together before, but were you saying that? It's like, yeah, I'd, I'd woke up feeling more resilient because yeah. I'd got this powerful night's sleep and one of the things that's improved on me over the past couple of years is that REM part of my sleep. Yeah. But every now and again, that dips down. Mm-hmm. That's the day that I struggle more to maintain focus. Yeah. Is that a direct correlation? Um, in my, it's not specifically to REM sleep. I mean, yes, it probably is a correlation in terms of, you know, REM is, like I said, it's it's where your brain gets more of the kind of recovery and repair process, the more restorative bit. Um, so if that if your REM sleep is short, then it doesn't take a genius to work out that probably you're going to be cognitively impaired that that day. So, yeah, they could, there's a correlation there, but sort of just short sleep or poor quality sleep in general can, you know, is not good for focus and concentration and stuff because, Focus and concentration are executive functions that need an awful lot of brain power. Um, and if your brain hasn't had a decent rest, then probably not going to be firing on all, all cylinders. And we're just taking a slight pause in the show to give a big shout out and thank you to the latest signups to the Instructor Podcast Premium. And they are Chris Brogdon, Nina Taylor, Philip Howarth, Michelle Holmes, Tony Baker, Kevin Lyons, Guy McMillan, Steve Locke and Chris Chadwick. Big thank you to you guys. Really appreciate you signing up. And those lovely folks get immediate access to over 90 exclusive shows just for members of the Instructor Podcast Premium to help them become better instructors, better coaches, and run a better business. So again, thank you for signing up. And if you would like to sign up, head over to www.theinstructorpodcast.com to find out more, or you can use the link in the show notes. Also, just want to take a second to remind you that on Wednesday, the 12th of April at 7 p.m., Chris Spencer is delivering our first expert sessions. He's delivering a presentation on how to teach roundabouts, followed by a Q&A. If you would like to sign up for this, you need to sign up to the interactive tier of the Instructor Podcast Premium, where you will get access to everything I mentioned previously and Chris's expert session. And the deadline for signing up is Wednesday, the 12th of April at 3 p.m. Anyone signing up after 3 p.m. on that date won't be able to watch live, although the show is being recorded. So you can come back a few days later and watch the recording, but you'll need to be signed up by 3 p.m. on Wednesday, the 12th to watch it live. But for now, let's get back to the show. We hear people talk about a good night's sleep. Mm. How important is a good night's sleep, or how or is it more important to consistently get good night's sleep? Mm. So um, I love it when people ask me this question. Are you going to also going to ask me how many hours a night should you get? I'm just going to cross that one off my notes. <laughs> um, 
Because there is a massive myth perpetuated that you have to get eight hours of sleep, right? And if you don't get eight hours hours of sleep, you've sleeping you've you've sleeping. Wow, cut that bit out. Um, nope. you... <laughs> no, how did I sleep last night? I wonder. Um, it, you know, if you don't get eight hours of sleep, you've slept really badly. That's just not true because there are people. Yeah, and I'm not I'm not saying that it's fine to chronically sleep four hours a night. Okay. But if you get six and a half hours sleep a night and you feel fine when you wake up, don't stress about getting the other hour and a half. It's absolutely pointless because I I see that a lot in clients that that actually that recommendation causes more stress than the sleep that they're getting in the first place. Because, you know, as long as you feel fine when you wake up, like, a perfect example I'm, I'm going to give you is um, something called paradoxical insomnia, right? So I had a client who told me he was a terrible sleeper. He was like, he, and I'm not joking, like he was dragging himself out of bed every morning. He could barely function at work. He felt absolutely awful, like really bad. And I got him to track his sleep. And I'm just a caveat, sleep trackers are not accurate. I'm not saying everyone should track their sleep and aim, you know, because that brings problems in itself. Oh, my God, I've got really short, deep sleep today. I'm probably going to be shit all day. Right. That causes its own problems. But we collected a good month's worth of data. From the data, I actually thought his sleep was pretty good. Um, You know, he was getting, you know, high sort of over six and a half between six and a half seven hours sleep um quite good sleep scores a a big percentage of it under his resting heart rate so I actually didn't say anything to him about the sleep for about a month you know gathered a month's worth of data and then we had a conversation I said do you know what you know I've coached hundreds of people and if I'm just going on the subset of data that I have of the clients that I've coached your sleep is actually in the top half of those people it's you know it's pretty good and he was like really and I was like yeah and I started pointing out to him got a good amount of deep sleep all that anyway I won't go into it but basically I explained to him why based on the data which isn't the only thing obviously we should take into account how he feels he was actually a pretty good sleeper and I left it at that anyway what happened next he started feeling amazing when he woke up in the morning he was like oh actually you know I started to feel really good I'm a lot less tired I've got more energy for exercise and stuff like that um we haven't changed anything else all I'd done is said to him actually based on this data you aren't a poor sleeper so obviously when I told him that and he was like this is a bit odd. We started to delve around into his sort of core beliefs about sleep and stuff. And we, with a lot of digging, eventually uncovered that when he was about seven, he overheard his parents have a conversation uh, about him in the kitchen, about what a terrible sleeper he was when a be- when he was a baby. And, you know, what a pain in the arse he was, basically. And he never slept properly. And oh, and then do you remember that time when he was four and he didn't sleep all night because of this happened, blah, blah, blah. And they were basically having a conversation. That had stuck in his mind. And he'd told himself a story that he was a terrible sleeper for forever. Um, and then all I needed to do was show him, actually, you're not a terrible sleeper. It's not that bad. And he felt completely differently about his sleep. And I'm not, just to be clear, I'm not saying that he made those symptoms up. He genuinely felt like that. But that is the power of your mindset. Like if you believe that you're a poor sleeper and you always sleep and, oh, my God, I've only got 30 minutes deep sleep. Today's going to be shit. I'm not going to be able to do anything. That's what will happen. Stories about sleep are very potent and very important to examine. There's a lot of stuff that's resonating here, and I'm, I'm remembering back to when I worked with you as well. I I used to get I was quite uh, reactive and used to get fretful about stuff. So I'd speak to you on a morning, I'd be like, "I only got five hours sleep last night." Yeah, and you got seven hours every other night. It's just one night, don't matter. But I would be getting fretful, as you say, because I've only got that. 
And I think that's something I could relate to when, when we get assessed as instructors, we, we have something called a standards check, or when learners go for the driving test. Yes, we want to have a good night's sleep that night, but if we are a bit nervous, we may not sleep as well. Yeah. But what we can't do then is let that overpower us and be like, oh, I've not slept well, so I'm going to fail. Yeah. You're essentially giving yourself an excuse. It's just that that one yeah. night. And that's also something that helped me um, going to sleep. I used to be someone that would go to bed, stress about going to sleep, and then be led in bed awake for three or four hours. Whereas now, and this rarely happens now, actually, but when I went to bed, if I found myself stressed about going to sleep, I'd get up. Yeah. I'd read for half an hour, just go for a little stroll, then go back to bed and fall asleep. And I think just taking that initial reaction away from it makes a big difference. It does. And, and you know, I, I get a lot of people come to me and say, I don't sleep. And, you know, respectfully to anyone out there, because I know how awful insomnia is, because I the what people don't know is the whole reason that I trained in sleep. Actually, I had an interest in sleep before nutrition is because I had really bad insomnia. Um, anyway, um, I get people say to me all the time, I don't sleep. And, and I say to them, you do sleep. Like sleep is a primary biological driver, like food, sleep, water, sex, not necessarily in that order. Um, those four are primary biological drivers. And there was a psychologist in the 40s who came up with this theory called drive reduction theory, saying that every organism, every animal, including humans, are always trying to like take actions that reduce these primary biological drivers. So as when you wake up, your drive to sleep is very low. But as you get throughout the day, that drive gets you know more and more intense. So people who say, I haven't slept for four days. You have slept for four days. It's just your perception of your sleep is not, you know, it doesn't match with that. You know, people, you hear about people falling asleep at the wheel, for example, or people like micro sleeps and stuff like that. So, you know, you you can sleep. And also, just to put things in context, if you regularly sleep six and a half hours and the night of your driving test, you sleep five hours, that's fine because we're talking about when sleep, sleep deprivation severely impairs cognitive function, we're talking about four hours or less for, you know, two, three weeks on end, really. There's something I was going to touch on there. You mentioned about falling asleep at the wheel and micro sleeps. So I think the stats are something like 20% of accidents are reportedly caused by driver fatigue. Mm -hmm. And uh, one in eight people have admitted, so probably more than one in eight, but one in eight people have admitted to falling asleep behind the wheel. Yeah. And the scary thing, I mean, interesting, but scary thing for me as well is when I read about this was that the, one of the ways they can tell if someone's falling asleep at the wheel from an accident is whether there's any skid marks or not. Because mm -hmm. if you're drunk and driving, you will still break. You'll just yeah. break late. If you're yeah. asleep and driving, you don't break. Don't you break. just crash. And it's something that I'd never considered before, and you know, obviously since I'd heard it, and I'm like, that's actually really scary. And like that one in eight number of people that have admitted to falling asleep at the wheel. And the the key thing there is as well that when we talk about falling asleep at the wheel, it's not someone just having a full-on doze. It's yeah. you mentioned then a micro sleep. Can you just tell yeah. us a little bit about micro sleep and what that is? Yeah. So when the when the drive to sleep builds up so much, so say you've been awake for excuse me, say you've been awake for 20 hours um, and, you know, I'm sure a lot of people have done it. I just wind the window down and oh, wind the window down. How fucking old is my car? No, like <laughs> you just wind the window down, get some fresh air, like turn the radio up. It'll be fine. I won't, you know, I'll manage to keep myself awake. But when the the, the drive to sleep is, is built up so much, like you have no choice. Like I can't stress this enough. You can't keep yourself awake your body will go to sleep whether you want it to or not even if it is like what they call micro sleeps which is when your body shuts down for like 30 seconds and then you wake up again I don't know if that's ever happened to you but like it's not at the wheel um but you know I've done it before where I've been sat like watching something and you know like when you sleep for 30 seconds and then you're just like oh I fell asleep 
that's what happens. They're micro sleeps and your body will keep doing that until you go to sleep properly. Well, you jolt awake like you fall off a cliff. Is it that one? Yeah, sometimes or sometimes people just sort of go, oh, I think I was just awake from yeah. asleep for a minute. It's weird. But I revert back to what I was saying before about having this conversation with our learners. You know, mm. it's something that I didn't used to talk about with mine. You know, I used to consider myself, I'm just an instructor, I'll teach you to drive. Yeah. And now I'm make sure I have this conversation about sleep. And um yeah. if you are knackered, do not drive. No, do not do the lesson, do not drive. It's not worth the risk, but no. I don't want to go too far down that um, unpleasant rabbit hole today. I'll save that for another podcast, I think. But what I do want to ask you about, we've kind of touched on it in a couple of places, but how people, well, I suppose there's two questions. How do people know if they need more or different sleep and, and how would they improve their sleep? Yeah. So obviously we touched a little bit on trackers and things, and you know I love the data. I'm a massive <laughs> fan of the data. But on the sheets that I get my clients to collect data on, yes, we collect all of the sleep data because it is useful because it gives you things like or it informs things like your heart rate variability and, you know, how much sleep is under your resting heart rate. That's all really interesting to know. But there is another column next to all of that, which is how did you feel when you woke up? Because I have been guilty of this as well. You know, I'll wake up in the morning and my other half will say to me, how did you sleep? I'll be like, oh, I don't know yet. Let me just like, how did you sleep? How do you feel? You don't have to rely on the tracker to tell you. But I think looking at that data in conjunction with thinking about how you feel, how did you feel when you wake up? Did you feel refreshed? Were you drowsy? Was it for more than 30 minutes? These are the questions you can ask yourself. If it was for more than 30 minutes, it suggests that maybe uh, your sleep could be a little bit better. If you woke up and you're exhausted, it might not necessarily be that your sleep was bad. It might be that you've woken up at the wrong time. You've just woken up in the middle of deep sleep or whatever. So I would say if you love data, look at that data. Don't become attached to those numbers. Don't see them as targets. You know, I have clients who are like, oh, I'd love to get a 90 sleep score one day. And I'm like, why? Like, what, what does that arbitrary number mean to you? It doesn't mean anything. Um, so don't get too hung up on those targets and look at them in conjunction with how you feel throughout the day. Um, so, yeah, looking at those things in conjunction. And then things you can do to improve your sleep. So got loads of these so obviously i'm not going to go down the route of the sleep hygiene thing right because everyone fucking rolls their eyes i've heard all this before so what my bedroom's cold and dark blah 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 right um but just to say that is important so you know tick off the easy things first if you are getting woken up by sunlight coming into your window if you're getting woken up because your bedroom's too warm uh if your bedroom's messy if you're weird and anal like me and you can't go to sleep with mess around you, maybe sort that out as well. Having a cold room and more blankets is better because you have these special glands on your hands and the soles of your feet um, that help cool you down. So that's why if you get hot under your blankets and you stick your foot out, if the room's hot as well, that's not going to help. But if it's cold, those um, special glands on the soles of your feet will help cool you down. So. That's it for sleep hygiene. Other things to do. So in terms of resetting your circadian rhythm, and I and I tell people who have jet lag to do this, and I actually used to have a client who was a British Airways pilot who used to do this as well. So the best way to tell your body what time it is, is to give it environmental cues. Um, so for example, when you go outside in the morning and the sky is blue, that particular frequency of blue light is recognized by your eyes and it starts to suppress melatonin production. And it actually sets a little timer off in your body. You talk about timers and clocks a lot. I imagine people think they're going to cut themselves open and have all these little clocks inside them. Or that's probably just me. Anyway, so it starts off this timer, which says in 14 to 16 hours time, start ramping up production of melatonin. So the best way to do that is to be outside when there is what we call a low solar angle. So you get to see the light change. So if you can be outside at the sunrise, you don't have to look at the sunrise. I mean, that's a bonus if you can. But if you're just outside while the light changes 
And again, while it's when the sun sets, that, those are the biggest clues that your body's going to get to, hey, do you know what? It's time to start ramping up melatonin production or suppressing it or whatever. So if you um, are jet lagged or for any reason you've, you know, your bedtime has shifted and you've been going to bed later and you want to get back into that rhythm, that's the thing. You know, if you look at sunrise and sunset two or three days in a row, that should help you set things um set things up again for a good night's sleep what about an evening routine mm, yeah so evening and morning routines are important a good night's sleep starts that morning that you wake up um which is why i always say about the sunrise uh yeah going out for the sunrise and stuff um morning routines uh evening routines sorry um it depends right so if you are a person who is an overthinker like me, for example, um, part of my evening routine is to do a massive brain dump because if it's in my head, it will swirl around in my head and it will be, I always liken it to like a pinball machine. Like the thought starts here and then it gets a bumper here and lights something over, up over here and then it goes up here and lights that bit of my brain up. And before I know it, it's like a fucking fun fair in there. Um, and then I can't go to sleep. So I tend to do a big brain dump, get everything out of my head and also... When I do the brain dump, I get the notepad and I bring it into my office and I leave it on the desk. And like a little weirdo, I literally say out loud, out loud, I'll deal with that tomorrow. And then I go out of the office and I shut the door and that's all that is left there as far as I'm concerned. So that's something that's part of my evening routine. Um, Not doing anything stimulating before bed. And what I mean by that is video games, being on, you know, having your phone in your face. Obviously, that's not that's not a, a great thing to do. I know a lot of people say, oh, you shouldn't look at your phone because of blue light. But it's not just the blue light. It's about the stuff that you're doing on your phone. So the endless news feed that causes time displacement. So you got into bed at nine o'clock, started looking at your phone. and Now it's one o'clock in the morning and you don't know how that happened. You could be arguing with people on Twitter and getting yourself all worked up, which is not ideal for bed. You are interacting. It's interactive. It's not passive. Um, so that's why, you know, if you have to look at a screen before you go to bed, watch TV because it's further away. The blue light dissipates. It's quite passive. It's not interactive. So I would say definitely phone usage in the bedroom is a big no. And one of the things that I get my clients to do if they are reluctant to take their phone out of the bedroom, because that should be no, it shouldn't be in your bedroom. But, you know, I have clients who insist that there's going to be some emergency at three o'clock in the morning. They definitely need to have their phone next to them. So I say to them, right, okay, if you want to use the phone after you've gone to bed, you put it over the other side of the room and you get out of bed. And if you want to scroll, you stand there and scroll. You don't get into bed and get all comfortable and start scrolling. Like If you want to scroll, you have to stand up over the other side of the room naked, make it as uncomfortable as possible. Um, so, yeah, no phones. Sorry, I feel like I'm giving you verbal diarrhea and about all of this stuff now. Anything else? <laughs> um, no, it's, it's interesting though because uh, you said about putting the phone on the other side of the room. I first started doing that to help me get up in the morning um, mm. because I'd have to get up to switch my alarm off. Yeah, and I didn't realize the added benefit that would have is it means I'm not playing on my phone all night. Yeah. And you mentioned before about your brain being like a fairground all night. It was it immediately made me think of the comparisons where I live now and where I lived previously when I was uh, with my ex-wife. In the, the bedroom, there was like a fairground. There was a TV on. There was iPads on. There were phones mm -hmm. on. All this kind of stuff. Yeah, um, I'm going to put this video clip out so everyone can see Haley's expression at that. <laughs> me saying that. Um, but like now, my bedroom is like a no-go zone for stuff like that. There's there's an yeah. iPad in there next to my bed that is closed, and it's there so I can put a podcast on for 20 minutes. And yeah. It's on a timer, and I cannot remember the last time I heard that podcast finish. So I'll be asleep within 20 minutes. And I just feel that that was one of – again, I go back to what I was saying before. I didn't think there was changes I could make to improve my sleep. But yeah. moving here and taking all that crap out of the bedroom – just yeah. it makes it a much calmer much more pleasant sleep it's so much better and i actually um i've got um you know like a sonos you know like a wireless speaker in my bedroom so what i'll do is if i want to listen to a sleep story or a meditation i will put it put it on on the phone in the lounge and then i'll connect it to the speaker in the bedroom so i don't even have the phone in there and you know people just go oh, what about waking up i'm like buy a fucking alarm clock what did you do before you had a phone like 
Jesus, go analog. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm sure that people have got some uh, excellent tips uh, from you there. Is there anything else you would like to mention around sleep in particular? Um, I guess one of the things that obviously people might be interested in um, is how sleep can affect your weight and your weight can affect your sleep. So that's another consideration about how, you know, if you don't sleep for very long, then you have more opportunity to eat. You're likely to be more hungry. Um, so that can cause weight gain. And also, if you don't sleep well, um, so sorry, if you are carrying extra weight, you're less likely to have good sleep because you can have things like sleep apnea and stuff like that. That's a whole other massive area that I won't go into. But obviously, you know, sleep really does affect everything. It affects your brain health. It affects your physical health in terms of, you know, your weight. It affects your blood pressure. Um, it affects your mental health. Um, you know, the stuff that I talked about, about your amygdala um, and being able to separate emotions from memories. So it makes you more resilient as well. So, yeah, I think that's I think that's probably it. Obviously, it makes you less active if you don't sleep well. And that also affects your weight. So I could literally I, I'm sure your listeners would be horrified, but I could literally probably do like a 10 hour podcast on sleep if that was that was what he wanted. We, uh, we'll record a bonus special for next week. Um, I do want to get your uh, ultimate driving song and your uh, question for Spotify in a moment. Before we do, do you want to just tell people where they can find you? So whether that's one of the one, I'll say that again, whether that's whether they want to come and work with you one-to-one or just follow the stuff they do, where's the best place for more, more Haley goodness? So I, um, I'm on Instagram and Facebook. Um, I'm at forward slash I am the food ninja. Um, I also have a YouTube channel, which is called Food Ninja TV. Um, my website is food.ninja. So it's all very easy to remember. Yeah, that's it. I think Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Yeah, that's about it. Yeah, I'm going to mention actually, because when you came back on, on uh, way back on season one, yeah. uh, I was asking guests about their experience learning to drive. And we spoke about your instructor and you were incredibly uh, pleasant about him. And he's then since got in touch and uh, we'll give a shout out to Craig Preedy. Yes, um, Craig. And also the other thing I should mention about Craig is Craig taught my daughter to drive as well which i thought was like which blew my mind really because i still think of him of being like the same age that he was when he taught me how to drive so i was a bit like oh like it was just really weird but yes he taught me it was my daughter's birthday today as well hi lily um so yeah he he got in touch and yeah it's been really nice it's been really nice to see him on facebook and stuff yeah Birthday, Lily, and uh, yeah, it's, it's just a wee nipper. What's it? Whippersnapper. is <laughs> Craig for you. Yes. Um, fan of the show. So, hello, Craig. Uh, all right. So, what is your ultimate driving song? Well, I have to say, Terry, this is probably the hardest question that you've asked me so far today. Um, I've had a big think about it. So, I don't currently have a car at the moment since I moved back to the UK. So, my favourite memories of driving, uh, or the most recent, are when I used to live in Ibiza. And I had a Mitsubishi Montero, which I loved, which had like massive like windows down because it was always really sunny and stuff. So the song that I probably remember listening to a lot was called P Perfect Motion by Sunscreen, um, which is I'm a bit of a dance music fan. So, um, yeah. So apologies for people who don't like it. And it's on the Spotify playlist because it's about nine minutes long as well. It's a very eclectic mix over there. I'll add that. I've not heard it. I'm going to go I'll send it through to be a bit on. Um, and then on Spotify at the moment, we can put polls up and questions on the actual episode. So anyone listening, head over to Spotify and you can answer there. I may put it up on the social media as well. What poll or question would you like me to put up? I would like to know... How, what percentage of your listeners feel that they get adequate, good quality sleep? Excellent. Um, quite interested in that myself. And just uh, so you're aware, my sleep score averages around 88 and That's 6 good. hours 45 minutes. 
that's good you know what you know like this this uh recommended like everyone should get between seven and nine hours I don't know where this has come from um I've obviously coached hundreds of people and they've all collected their sleep data and I can categorically say that I have never coached a client that regularly got more than eight hours sleep like I've never and I've had a few clients who have the odd sleep score in the 90s but that might be like once or twice in like three months so for those people out there who are thinking oh I only get six and a half hours like that's quite normal most people I mean have to say the people I coach are usually sort of 40 upwards so we get less sleep anyway as we get older but generally you know that's quite that's a good sleep score terry and a good sleep duration as well like that's if i looked at you as a subset of my you know just my clients that's in the sort of the top 25% i would say exactly um, the the question i forgot to ask you so last one of the day um you mentioned a few times about trackers and tracking your data <laughs> what would you recommend people use to track sleep to track data to track uh, steps all that kind of good stuff okay so um, there are lots of specialist trackers out there. So if you're talking about sleep, there is something called the Aura Ring, or there is a band called the Whoop Band, which is specifically for sleep and recovery, which is great. However, most people want an overall picture of their health. Um, and personally, I think that Fitbit in terms of giving you data about you no know, good enough data about sleep. Um, steps, heart rate, exercise, all of that kind of stuff. It's the best all-round watch. People always ask me why I don't see Apple, say Apple, because I'm a massive Apple wanker, got an iPhone, got an iMac, all that kind of stuff. But you have to download apps and you know the data's not as available. It doesn't look as nice. It's in it, you know, the user experience in terms of the app and stuff isn't great on Apple. So I personally recommend a Fitbit for all-round health data tracking. I'll just let you know, you are the first person to describe themselves as an Apple wanker on this show. So I do appreciate coming back for season five. We'll get you back on for season 10, Hayley. Uh, thank you for joining us today and sharing all your sheep, sheep, sleep wisdom. Thank you very much. So a big thank you to Hayley Field there for joining me again on this podcast excellent guest uh and i'll definitely have her back on again i think at some point she is a wealth of wisdom and i highly recommend that you go and follow her wherever you use social media and if you're looking for someone to help you with any aspect of your health definitely go and check her out i hope that you've enjoyed this episode though hope you've taken something from it please let me know i'm always open to feedback you can go check out the show over on spotify and answer the polls over there you can find me on all the socials or you can head over to the website www.theinstructedpodcast.com always welcome to feedback especially on these episodes where i don't know as much i'm not as good on the sleep as i am on other stuff so yeah, please take a moment to find me and reach out if you have anything to suggest or add. But for now, we are going to be joined by Nick Smith, who is the latest in the line of instructors joining to offer the three key topics or the three key points, I should say, which is a top tip for driving instructors, the top resource for driving instructors, and the ultimate driving song to be added to the Spotify playlist. You can find that in the show notes or go and search for it on Spotify. Just search for the instructor. But for now, let's see what he's got to say. And we're now joined by fellow ADI, Nick Smith. How are we doing, Nick? I'm really good, Terry. Thank you. Oh, and I'm delighted to have you on. It's uh, it's a pleasure. I did put the call out to some of my premium members if they wanted to come on to the show and then take these little guest spots at the end, and you were someone that, that chipped up pretty quickly. So uh, do you want to just tell everyone the name of your driving school and where you're based? Just tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, I I recently left a, a national driving school and set up on my own. I trade as RPS-driven school of motoring. And particularly as RPS driven electric, because after listening to Rob Cooling on season one, um, I went out and test drove an electric vehicle and got hooked. So I teach an electric car now. <laughs> um, I teach South Sheffield, North Derbyshire area. I live just over the border. I do apologise. I used to live in Yorkshire, but now I'm in Derbyshire. Um, a bit of a traitor. Um, but around this sort of area, my main test foot centre is Hansworth. 
So awesome. Uh, and I refrained from booing when you said moved out of Yorkshire. I'm sure Rob will be pleased uh, that he had an impact on you. But we did bring you on for the, the three big questions today. So the first one is: uh, What is your top tip for your fellow driving instructors? Really, it's just to be you and to show you. Um, you've said before on on the podcast to show a bit of yourself in your social media. Show a bit of yourself in your social media. Show a bit of yourself in the car. When my learners get in the car for the first time and they look in the back seats and they see a stuffed Wookiee and a stuffed <laughs> Grogu baby, baby Yoda strapped in in the back, a lot of what we do, particularly when you're dealing with a national driving school, is very, you wear the uniform and this is the way your car should look and this, that and the other. And just having a little bit of you there can help to break the ice. But again, as you've said, be yourself on your social on your social media as well, because people buy from people, and there's there's people out there that are looking to learn with you rather than with me. Yeah, I, I, I'm a massive fan of that tip. Uh, you know, you've said about me talking about in the past. I think that the the one thing that separates you from everyone else in the world is your personality. So you need to put that out there to be different from every other driving instructor and. and I don't know if I said this on the podcast or whether I said it somewhere else, but I had a student recently who said to me, uh, I love it when you do your dance. And I'm like, what What dance? She went, well, sometimes when we do maneuver really well, she says, do like a little dance in your chair. I'm like, oh, I didn't realize I was doing that. But that's that's me being me and them picking up on that. So yeah, great tip. Next thing I want to ask you is, have you got a recommended resource for other instructors? Yeah, and this one is probably about as broad as you can get because it's .gov.uk because literally everything you need is on there. The full copy of the highway code for free. You've got the ADI one for when you're preparing for your part twos, part threes, um, and standards checks, you've got the full text of that. You've got the majority of the text of the DT one for, for, for the learner driver tests. Every resource you need is on there to find out exactly what the DVSA is looking for. And Obviously, it's the place to go to find out the absolute latest. You can also subscribe to page updates. So whenever the highway code gets updated, I get an email. So I, I never don't know. Excellent. I think, again, another another good recommended resource. I think that, weirdly, it's probably not one I would think to recommend. But now you've said it, it's like it's the most obvious resource we've got. And as well, I think that the DBSA, you know, they're getting a little bit of flack at the minute, you know. But that gov.uk website, I... I find it really easy to search as well, which you can't say for most websites. You know, you go in and type driving tests and it brings you up the stuff about driving tests. So, excellent show. And I suppose the fact it's a different department from the DBSA that keeps it on state might be. I don't yeah. say that, honest. <laughs> we can't be positive on this show. <laughs> too much negativity. Um, but now with two positive things, there. we've got great tip, BU. We've got the recommended resource of gov.uk. We should, as instructors, really make more use of that. Um, but then definitely the biggest positive to finish on is the ultimate driving song. What is your ultimate driving song? I was looking through my Spotify playlist before this, and if I could pick an ultimate driving album, it would be a different answer because there's one album that I used to do long journeys to France on a regular basis, and I just listened to it on repeat. But the song that I've picked is Hey There Delilah by Plain White Tees. Oh. One, because I love the song. Two, because it's it's got a reasonable pay, uh, tempo to it, but it's not too fast, so it's not going to encourage fast driving. And three, because I sat here with my stopwatch on earlier, and the chord changes are two seconds apart. So you can use it to follow the two-second rule. <laughs> Um, well, I know what I'm playing on my next driving lesson now. Um, great show. It's fascinating for me the d different songs people put on. There is, oh, there's there's one song in particular that no one's put on there yet. And if I don't do it soon, I'm going to kick off and just put it on there myself. But anyone listening, you can go and check out the, the Spotify playlist. It's in the links, it's on the website. I'll just search for the Instructor Podcast and you should be able to find a link for it there as well. So I'll add that to it as well as today's episodes. But Oh, in fact, what was the album? You mentioned the album. What album would you have? Viva La Vida or Death and All His Friends. The One's Coldplay. gone right over my head. Coldplay album. From, right. It would be 2004. I was picked up my my brand new Chevrolet, uh, che Chevrolet Kalos. Yes, I made the mistake of buying a Chevy. Um, and drove it straight to the to the port to, to go and visit my brother in France. And first stop was a motorway service area because I forgot to bring any CDs with me. 
And so bought the album there, put it in the CD player, and just played it on repeat all the way there and all the way back. It's just oh. the whole album as an experience is, is amazing. I must admit, I, I wouldn't have had you down for a Coldplay fan, but there you go. I, I'm um, not. I just like that album. The rest of this stuff I don't like. <laughs> Um, and I mentioned before, you are one of my premium members, so I am going to take a moment just uh, for, for a bit of self-indulgence and ask you what your favourite aspect of uh, the premium content is. This is a hard one to pick because, as you and I have discussed before, there's there's only one part of the entire premium offering which I don't indulge in. But that's the appeal of it. It's the variety that's in there, the, the sheer volume of content. Because premium started season two. Yeah, it would have been uh, August, September 2021. There's 94 premium-only episodes in there at the moment, which is, it's only 30 short of, or less than 30 short of all the content that's out there in the in the Instructor Podcast feed. So the way that it's built up and that, that massive resource there, and you can, you, can, you can pick what you want. If I had to pick a single, a single series, it would probably be the standard check- checklist, which I'm, Fingers crossed is coming back soon. <laughs> it is. It is coming back. Uh, and I've had many requests for that. It's on the way back. There have been been issues. But there are seven of those to get stuck in. So anyone that wants to come in now. but um, I'm, fu- I'm full of suspense now to see what's number eight. Um, well, if only we had some kind of list we could, we could work off. Although <laughs> I've now completely forgotten. So there you go. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, I, I appreciate that. And it's one thing I do try and do is, is put that variety in. You know, you've got the mixture of uh, business stuff. You've got uh, instructor-specific stuff like standards chat. We've got coaching stuff in there. We've got the the awesome guests like Bob and Kevin Tracerfield and whatnot. And then there's stuff that what I term as on the fringes of, of being an instructor. So it's stuff around websites and SEO and mindfulness and all that kind of stuff that isn't necessarily stuff that – is an integral part of the driving lessons, but of the overall business, it's there. And I, I think I'm, I'm really, I like that you said that. That's that's made me smile, Nick. Thank you. The, the the premium section, in particular, but the instructor podcast as a whole, is a tasting plate of different CPD. So you don't have to have one meal; you can have a tasting plate and try them all. Exactly. Um, but no, uh, thank you uh, for joining us today on these uh, little bonus segments I've started doing at the end of the episodes. Is there any last thing we'd like to mention or do you want to tell people where they can find you or anything that you might have to share yourself? Um, finding me, uh, pretty simple. If you want to get in touch with me, you can contact me. My website is rps-dm.co.uk. Uh, that page leads you to everything I do because I'm not just a driving instructor. I do a bit of podcasting myself. I do some photography um, and I do truck driver CP, CPC courses as well. Um, if you want to get in touch with me on social media, RPS Driven Electric on everything except Twitter. RPS Driven EV there. Cool. Well, uh, thank you for your time today. It's very much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. The Instructor Podcast with Terry Cook, talking with leaders, innovators, experts and game changers about what drives them.